podcast topic tutorials on nerdy topics for people who aren't necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today is your nerdy tutor, George, and with me today is a special guest, the Green Ranger, my little brother. How are you doing? I believe you mean the Greek Ranger. Okay, we can go with the Greek Ranger as well. That's a good one here. Um, so, Mom is away. She's in Taiwan here for the next two weeks. So, we have a special guest with us here for the next two episodes, and we're going to be discussing mech anime. Now, mech anime in and of itself is a genre of Japanese animation here. It's one of our first podcasts we ever did. Um, my little brother is into Japanese animation. Is that not correct? That is true. So, but he's not quite the, the deep lore that I am of deep, of, mong, of manga, Japanese animation, and so forth here. So, I asked him what would he be interested in learning, and he told me, you know, he told me anime, and I offered mech anime. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So, John. What do you know about mech anime? So I've watched Neon Genesis Evangelion. I've watched Gurren Lagann. Okay. Those are really my two conceptions of it. But as far as I'm aware, I know that they are subversions of it to an extent. So yeah. So let's let's start off with what what mech anime is in general. So a mech anime is pretty much any Japanese manga, anime, media, novel in which... Essentially, the robot is that there are robots that exist within the show, and they are somewhat important to the show's story or elements of the story here. So, basically, if a ro- if a robot is somewhat important to the show or kind of the purpose behind the show here, like it's kind of a mech anime here in a lot of cases. Now, that's not always the case necessarily, where you might have shows like Ghost in the Shell. I don't really consider that a mech anime in a true sense because while there are, while a lot of the humanoids there are mechanical and robotic in nature as cyborgs, um, they're cyborgs. They're not robots. And usually I count a robot as anything in which you have to pilot, control in a lot of cases, or has some sort of otherworldly sentience to it. Again, like a show like Ghost in the Shell might have, has a lot of those elements, but there's not a there's a true somewhat debate regarding whether it's a robot whether it's a mech series or not a mech series. And apologies ahead of time, I'm going to be using the word mech and robot very interchangeably because they they'll mean the exact same thing in this case. Well, so here, I know Super Sentai and Kamen Rider are its own so, genre. Yes. But would it be fair to say that they might have originally spun off? with elements of mech anime in them, with Super Sentai in particular. Yes, I will talk about that too. So, one of the things you first need to know about mech anime here is that there's two genres of mech anime. So we're going to discuss some as we go through the history of mech anime because it's kind of the way I like to operate. But I'll give you the basis for the first two here. So there is so the two subgenres here. So they are super slash giant robo slash robot series. So... Super Super Robo or Giant Robot series here, as you might call them. The, the names, you know, Giant and Super Interchangeable versus Robo and Robot in a lot of cases versus Real Robot series. And the two are very distinct. You, in your case, when you watched uh, Gurren Lagann and Ava Gillian here, watched a Super Robot series. And later, and we'll get to the prom- most pro- prominent Real Robot series because that's the... F- that's the genre I like the most, but it has the most kind of technical details on it here. Um, so those are really kind of the two major subcategories of mech anime here. 
where you might have um, a little bit of boundaries between them and sometimes some shows like Evangelion have both elements of a real world of a real robot series and a super robot series, but it's primarily more than a super robot series. So, so wait, what what is the main difference between the two? So, a super robot series is a more fantastical kind of take on a robot versus a real robot series is a much more gritty kind of not necessarily gritty, but more or less down to earth kind of robot here, like uh, Gundam or kind of like that. But let's go through the history real quickly here. So. Starting really to talk about mech anime prior to the 70s is a little difficult because anime and manga in the 60s does not quite exist in the same realm that it naturally exists in later years here. You do have shows like uh, Astro Boy, Giant Robo, and a couple other early mech series that really kind of start the ideas of mech series. And again, of course, obviously you're coming off of World War II and obviously say it's just rapidly growing, rapidly growing, and sci-fi becomes a big deal in Japan because it's just so prevalent. But you really don't get to talk, start really talking about mech anime in a greater sense until you get to what you might call the silver age of, of uh, mech anime in being the 70s here. Now, one of the reasons mech anime is a very popular thing to do, especially in the 70s, is because you don't have to animate the face. Most giant mech shows here have a very static face or have a very, a lot of the faces are very elaborate sort of things. You get to a couple shows and they look very statically looking. But the reason for that was be that in a lot of cases with animation, if you're going to animate anything, you animate the face. Because that's the thing most people look at here and, and, and such. So if you don't have to animate the face, you have a much easier time moving through a series here, and especially with mech series in the beginning, they go off, off model all the time because you're trying to just produce whatever you can to get it out there. And well, you might have a time in a manga to get it really good and right, you know, the going off model is not a bad thing as far as mech, as far as anime goes, essentially. So, um, so largely giant robot series are dominated here in the 70s they start with Mazinger Z I just remembered one more I watched Big O yes another super robot series I really liked that one but that ending was weird yes it's bizarre but that's kind of why I love it yeah, it's good um, so Mazinger Z came out in 1990 originally started as a manga in the, in the late 60s and became its own anime in 1972 the premise for it is bizarre, and I want to read it for you just because this is how like weird Japan is. So, so there, there was a bad guy here by the name of Doctor Hell and Doctor Kabuto. They're a part of a research team that have mine that figured out there's a special mineral in Mount Fuji that makes you know really really great robots. And as a result, here while mining inside of um, Mount Fuji here, they real they come to stumble across ancient ruins of other robots that other robots and creatures that were there. Now, Doctor Hell realizes that you can have that you know, there's a way to control these monsters and decides he's going to take over the world. So he kills everybody else there in the he kills all the other people and only Doctor Kabuto is the one to escape. Essentially, he goes back to his home base here in Japan. And he creates. Um, Mazinger Z with the intention to fight off 
Dr. Hell when he comes by. But he's killed off by, and I sh- I kid you not, when I read this, I had to look it up because it's just so dumb. Um, he's killed by a half-man, half-woman, Baron Asherah. And now, now, mind you, when I say that here, you have to think here. When I say half-man, half-woman, it's down the middle of the head, vertically. There's a line straight down. Right side looks like a woman. The left side looks like a guy. You know, I'm not necessarily surprised given the creator of, you know, Devilman. And... Yeah, again, he was the creator of Devilman here as well, and that's how he got to this prominence here. Um, Go to Guy, I believe, was his name. Yeah. Um, and so what ends up happening is the robot is passed on to his grandson, Koji Kabuto, who fights off Dr. Hell. So, yeah, it's, again, so giant robot series, you know, when you get down to it here, are basically kind of one-of-a-kind, uni- one unique, usually unreplaceable robot robots that are usually protectors, guardians, some sort of, you know, lost technology in, in some cases here. Um, they're fantastical in nature, squishy in their physics. And what I mean by squishy in their physics and technology, I mean that, like, it's powered by... It's powered by radio waves. That's not something that powers anything. Like, that that's not how radio waves work. Or it's, it's it's powered by nuclear power. Like, that would be highly dangerous to have something in a machine that's fighting other things here. Like, it it's it's the the mechs can be more fluid in their in their power sources, more fantastical. Um, the radio wave thing makes way more sense in Mega Man Star Force. Yeah. So, um, but again, like they're usually like magical in nature, mythical in nature, mystical, extraterrestrial, or based off like some sort of level of super science. You know, at the end of the day, um, usually these kind of super hero, super robots or giant robot series are usually stories that involve more of a uh, heroic sort of element. In a lot of cases here, um, they lead themselves very well toward monster of the week and by what i mean by monster of week is that uh, every you know because the shows air once a week in japan which is kind of their normal format um as we're like here in america it's a daily sort of thing that comes out every single day you know but like it'd be like watching friends or watching the office once a week a new episode comes out every once a week versus when like power rangers came out like every new day was a new episode but you have those, that's how, but again, like a monster of the week basically is the notion that every time a show happens, there's a monster, it gets beaten, you almost never ever see it again, and then a new monster comes up. So they're not really serialized in a lot of cases here, so you get very fluid sort of like come and go as you please sort of style of, of, of this sort of thing here. Not a lot of shows, remember, were ever going to be reseen or rebroadcast in a lot of cases in Japan, which is still somewhat of the case. Um, there's some specialty channels that do rebroadcast shows, but that's not a common thing. Like, you'll never see reruns of, you know, Super Sentai or Gundam or anything else that's on TV unless there's some other background thing that's doing it. In Japan now, it's, there's a streaming service that lets you do that, so the kind of the prevalence of that gives you the ability. Um, so, yeah, so this is what a lot of giant robot series are. So you get some series like... Uh, now, mind you, Mazinger Z had a lot of spinoffs. It spun off into Great Mazinger, uh, UFO Robot uh, Grenadier, and the again in '94 and '97, and then later in 2002, it came up with Ma 
Mazen Kaiser. So it was another kind of reboot or redoing of a series that was in a similar vein to that. Like the, that tends to be a theme that happens a lot of the time in super, in super robots that they get redone in some cases just with a slightly different theming to it. As you say, Gona guy is also pretty notorious for doing that with his with his other series, not just Devil Man, but um, what's it, Violence Jack, mm-hmm. um, and a couple of others that he's made. Yeah, he does that quite a bit. Yeah, again, I mean, like everyone, I mean, like ask me about Cutie Honey one day. There's, oh, he uh, made that too. Yes, he did. That's right, he did make yeah, that. Yeah, there's like twenty five different versions of Cutie Honey, and a live action movie. It's weird. Aren't all live-action versions of anime weird? E- nope. I've seen some that are not. Really? Okay, no, but I mean, like, weird Weird depends on your level of weird. I do have a rather high threshold for that. Yeah, I mean, if, if you ever get a chance to, I'll lend you Zebra Man one day. That's pretty effing bizarre for a tokusatsu series, but that's not really a tokusatsu series at all. Is it like a parody of it? Or? Oh, it's very much a parody. But not at the same time. It's it's hard to describe. Kind of um, like Gurren Lagann, or no, 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 no. It takes itself very seriously, but it's a parody at the end of the day, which is hard to explain. I'll, again, I'll lend you. A, I'll find my copy of it. And I'll lend it to you. Um, you also get uh, other shows that came out in this time, where you have Getter Robo, which is three kind of jets that transform into a red sort of demon sort of robot. But it has the ability because the three jets can connect and different connect and reconfigure themselves. It has three different modes. So one of them is a. So what that is up there? Which one? Not neither of the Megazords. The one with the. Armatic. No, no, no. That would be an Ultraman series, uh, Gridman. So okay. that's, that's Gridman, which is also in this kind of the same vein of a Super Robot series. Ultraman itself is a Super Robot series. When you look at it from a certain standpoint, as opposed to a Tokusatsu, or well, it's a Tokusatsu series, but its roots are based off of like Godzilla movies, where usually some sort of human human grows to massive proportions and fights a monster here. So its roots are kind of in a Super Robot series almost, versus not really. But again, like a lot of Tokusatsu takes root takes its nods from Super Robot series, and again, like Power Rangers here, like we mentioned here beforehand, which are the Super Sentai started in nineteen in 1975 and again its roots are based in Super Sentai with you know their giant mechs and robots that come out or as we know them here in America Zords you know those are the things that exist in the world only because Super Sentai was big at the time that's why we have that's why every episode ends with a giant robot I don't, I think you could do, I don't think you necessarily need a giant robot yeah I think Common writer shows prove that here. Another Tokusatsu series prove that, but hey, even the Japanese Spider-Man had a giant robot. I mean, that's how it all kind of originated too, right? or at least to- the Tokusatsu series, anyway. Yeah, so Tokusatsu series originally originated from wanting to have a live-action Super Sentai show and realizing that you could get away with having the one character in it, but it got boring real quickly because they had nothing to work with. So that's why they ended up having a team of five individuals, because you got to remember that Spider-Man, I believe, came out in 74, so the rest of the Super Sentai started in 90, 90, uh, 1975. So, that's where that comes from. Um, you have probably one of the most weirder sort of one, uh, Super Robot series that comes out in the 70s. You have 
Daiku Maru Gaiking. So the, the Daiku Maru is a giant like T-Rex beast sort of like carrier machine with a weird skull-like head that when it pops off, the head pops off and turns into a robot called Super Robo Gaiking. It has a couple different variations on this here as well. Um, that show is primarily where like based off like dinosaurs and all the enemies are fish or sea related in a certain way like again it's weird but a lot of shows you see from the 70s and a lot of stuff that happens are weird they don't age well but people have such a fond nostalgia for it that it somehow always comes back you oh i've always i've met a lot of people that are like oh my goodness like Dyke king is the most amazing thing in the world i'm just like the hell are you talking about oh no it came out in like the 70s and i'm like Okay. So did Thundercats, but you don't see many people rewatching that anytime soon. Well, I I would rewatch it if it came out. I know that there's a remake of it coming out relatively two. soon. There's two. So there, there's been two different remakes of it here. One of which took a far more realistic sort of Avatar-like version of it here, where I like that version, but it doesn't speak to the original. Ver it doesn't really speak to the fans in a lot of ways. Avatar, in the sense of the James Cameron movie, or are we talking about the the cartoon a Avatar: The Last Airbender? Is the jury still out on whether or not that counts as an anime series or not? Because it is everyone technically American made. Everyone fights over whether it's a Japanese animation, or whether it's an anime or not, because it has, certainly has a lot of elements from its serialized nature and its real world aesthetics to. You know, the eyes being huge, sort of, like, anime influence. But the same can kind of be said as well of the Teen original Titans. Teen Titans. Yeah. yeah. So, like, eventually we're going to come up with a genre that's, like, anime-inspired, you know, sort of thing. But at the same time here, like, as much as we find a lot of inspiration in the... Um, in Japanese series, Japanese find a lot of inspiration from us. Because Hence, you, Powerpuff Girls Z. No, actually. Because when you get to Gundam, the it's known as, it's known in Japan as the Gundam is primarily known as the Star Wars of Japan. Hmm. And you know, as much as Star Wars didn't come out until like, you know, you got to remember that I believe it came out in seventy eight, seventy nine. Here, Gundam also came out in. 79. So whether the other two were influenced or not is unlikely, but it's not to say that, like, Laser Swords possibly didn't come out of that at all, maybe? Who knows? Um, so, but hey, we get to Gundam, and guess when Gundam comes around? 1979. Now, originally, it's a super robot series, but it starts what you call the real robot series, because the mechs in... The robots and mechs in Gundam are mass produced they're very you could easily somewhat replace them here if you had to um they're 10 to 10 during well they might be like using future tech at the end of the day the future tech is grounded in somewhat here like sure they have beam sabers but that's basically just like a sword at the end of the day sure they have beam rifles and laser guns but it's kind of a replacement for what be a machine gun or something like that in modern day sort of stuff here. Um, again, like a real robot series, the robots can be replaced or mass produced or within reason replaced. Like at the end of the day, you can't replace a Gundam, but if you were going to replace it, you'd make 
a better one within a reasonable amount of time here. Uh, they're usually robots in a real robot genre here are usually tools of the universe. You know, and robots are not necessarily good or bad. They exist in kind of a you, you the people who use them decide whether they're a good guy or a bad guy because at the end of the day here you get the Sun Gundam series which are uh, the Gundams are on what would be considered the bad guys originally and not the good guys and the bad guys tend to use them for good guy purposes versus the normally good guys are technically the bad guys see Gundam Zeta but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here so let's talk about Gundam because when you talk about mech series it's very hard to talk about the elephant that's not in the room which is Gundam Epion is small and red Yes, it's dumb and stupid, but all is gun. But all of Gundam Wing is dumb and stupid to me. So, um, Gundam. The original Gundam comes out in '97. Here, you might also see the original Gundam, also subtitled Gundam 0079 or Gundam: The One Year War. Uh, basically, the story behind Gundam here is that um, by the year 2100, here Earth has decided to move in what they call move on from what was be the AD sort of timeline and they start what they call the UC timeline which is the universal century so technically like when we say like 0079 in the universal century we're actually talking about 2179 so about 170 some odd years from now so think of it that way when you're thinking about like the UC timeline here at the end of the day gotcha um, basically what happens here is that um, the earth that the earth is obviously gotten too populated We've kind of killed off a lot of our resources, so we start building. Um, we start building um, using asteroids and minerals from the moon. We start building colonies in space, and these colonies in space are actually very prosperous because um, they can be in space. You can build them as you need to. They don't generally turn into slums. Uh, but part of the problem of the space colonies here, though is that they're a lot like the American colonies versus where Earth would be kind of like Britain, where they're heavily taxed, they have no representation, and in a lot of cases here, the Earth relies heavily on the colonies because that's where farms and you know manufacturing and a lot of stuff is done because they want to... Because the intent is to safeguard Earth and to get it back to a more natural state because like you only get one Earth. But a lot of the problem well, here as is... As far as they know. As far as we know, yes, but... Um, and they also get stuff from Mars, but it's a little less common because it takes super long to get to Mars by comparison. Um, but you, again, you do have like Earth in the in the greater sense here, where you, most of the most of the colonies are supporting Earth, and but the colonies don't have any say in the government at all. So what ends up happening here is the what we call people from space. We call them space noids. Um, end up create uh, there's a principality of Xeon where again like a lot of the colonies end up have end up creating with their own governments and personal stuff. The principality of Xeon decides that it's going to separate their colony and their people from the Earth Federation. So basically, it becomes an all-out war at the end of the day. Now, where the principality of Xeon has a upper legs, it has a new brand new technology called mobile suits, which is basically just, you know, giant robots, but they're mass produced. They're super agile in space. So they take out like fighters because fighters have to move straight forward almost all the time. They can move in 3D kind of environments with their propulsions so they can get around gunships and 
you know, platform, you know, and battleships here pretty easily and just knock out the engines, disarming them, and then just kind of take them out uh, one by one because they move a lot quicker and a single single object that's standing still is very easy to hit when you're moving around, as anybody knows from a first-person shooter. Um, by the time we get to where the Gundam story actually starts here, it's been about eight years, and there's been a bit of a bit of a staggering here. Like no one side is winning or anything at this point here, um, but the Earth is developing their own mobile suits, and they develop um, a brand new. They have to develop a brand new ship in order to be able to carry them, service them, and launch them at the end of the day too. And that ship is known as the White Base. It's a very secretive sort of thing that gets that goes to one of the colonies here to pick up what to pick up the Gundam, which is a brand new mobile suit that. It's a prototype, but if it's but if it gets the approval from the Federation, they'll start making other Gundams, or they'll start mass-producing other Gundam units, which become GMs. They become, become Gundam machines, but they're just titled GMs. Um, but what ends up happening here is that the Principality of Xeon, and I'll just call it Xeon from going forward because that makes it a lot easier, learns of the White Base and attacks the colony, killing a lot of the civilians and original crew of the White Base which is how a young gentleman by the name of Amuro Ray becomes the 15-year-old ace pilot of the Gundam. And as a result here, what ends up happening is that the Gundam and its crew of the White Base, which is now populated primarily by the last survivors of what would have been the White Base in the Federation Force, and a majority, um, how do I say, what's the word I'm looking for, civilians, Primarily, the remaining civilians from the colony end up piloting the white base to try to get back to Earth Federation space, all the while being chased by Xeon and its brat and its uh, very uh, well-known and very uh, charismatic ace pilot Char Aznable. And that's kind of the story of Gundam. It's the one-year war takes place literally over the course of the of what would be Universal seventy Universal Century seventy-nine through eighty. Um, and it ends with the Principality of Xeon being defeated and a lot of their original members here killed, like a lot of the Xeon family is just <laughs> killed off but it's also a show that has a lot of political intrigue um, a lot of relationship sort of things here if you didn't have the mechs and they were something else, the series would still exist on a certain level hmm. um, and what's interesting about the original Gundam here is that it was actually originally a failure. It was originally slated for 45 to 50 episodes. It got canceled at episode 79 because it wasn't popular enough. You gotta remember here that like, as much as, it, as much as the same thing was here in the West, toys make a big deal in Japan as well. So like, a lot of like the giant robot series, you know, the super robot series of the 70s was meant to sell the toys, which are prevalent in, in nature here as well much like you know like a lot of tv shows that we saw in the 80s and 90s were you know like especially with like ninja turtles were kind of meant to sell the toys you know as much as i love those original teen ninja turtle shows like they were meant to sell toys there's no if ands or buts about it um but again but again gundam it's not until in 1983 in which um they reworked the gundam uh TV show with new animate with a little bit of new animation here and there. They rework it into a series of three movies that kind of finish off the story. Hmm. Um, it becomes a much bigger thing. It's also where we get the term gunpla from. Gunpla? So gunpla is the notion that um, 
So you know like hobby kits and model kits for like cars, airplanes, and things like that? They have that for giant robots. Oh, yeah. And for Gundam, it's a bigger deal because there's a lot of Gunpla out there. And so usually it started as like a hobby sort of thing. Gynax is what originally started, which is the company that makes... Evangelion, Evangelion, and, and, and Gurren Lagan yeah. originally started as a hobby building thing where they were building, you know, robots for other series um, as hobby kits, and you would make them and paint them and build them and put them together. Gunpla is the notion here, where by Bandai, which is what created uh, the original Gundam here, and it was basically their way of trying to make money. In fact, the original Gundam here was actually supposed to be white and gray because it was known as the White Devil. And the only reason it has its iconic kind of all-white frame but has kind of a blue-red chest and gold accents on it is because as a toy it would sell better. Um, but this early Gundam series shows a lot of things that would eventually become standards in your Gundam series. So usually, you know, so your Gundams always have, like, usually are white in color in a lot of cases with blue and red accents. But always have that samurai kind of look at the end of the day, the gold v-fin at the top of the helmet and and kind of a beard they have eyes where a lot of mechs don't have eyes necessarily or um, when you get to like the space noids whenever there's a robot from space it usually has what we call a mono eye it's usually like a pink eye or green eye that kind of circles around the helmet here and to look around as where um, earth federation or earth-based mobile suits are uh, kind of look like the Gundam, but they don't have the V-fin on it, and their eyes are replaced with kind of like a glass kind of like panel almost, so kind of like a like a safety visor or like a share of like 80s kind of like wraparound glasses almost, if you can imagine. Like that one dude from Star Trek. Yeah, kind of like that, but, but but bigger so it looks like they might, like safety goggles, I guess might be a good way to example of putting that. Um, it also kind of sets kind of what is normal, kind of like the, it would also would come about as being kind of the normal way most Gundam series end up operating here. They always start in space. Usually a, somebody who's inexperienced finds the Gundam and becomes the pilot of the Gundam. And they find their way back. To, they end up having to go to Earth. They go to Earth for a while and return back into space. As when, when they finish the series, it's a fa it's a huge motif that happens time and time and time again in, in Gundam series usually. Um, especially when you know, I make allusions to the original Gundam. Um, you also get um, you get a recurring thing where the villains all wear masks. So usually the ace pilot of the enemy here either has a mask on their face or they're obscuring part of their face. They have a helmet of some sort. They they generally are hiding their general look in a lot of cases. It's kind of the best way to put that. Uh, what else is there? Um, it's also kind of one of the things in which they're, you know, where they kind of settle on, hey, if you're going to have a... Um, you have to have kind of like a base that carries all these guys around because they're not going to fly in space all the time, but you have to have a base that kind of launches them and a mobile platform, so that's where you start getting the white base, but you start getting other kind of carrier units that you, you, we later see in various different shows. And so Gundam has probably the most lengthy sort of timeline here. I won't name all the Gundam series because there's literally about... 20 to 25 different spin-offs for it that are considered the major spin-offs before you start getting into video games and manga and novelizations in a lot of cases. Hmm. But there's about 20 or there's about 20 to 25 different major shows um, and they're divided into two different categories in a lot of cases. There's ones that exist in what we call the Universal Century 
and there's ones that exist outside of the Universal Century. So they use the name, huh? Like with the spinoffs, like compose the outside the Universal Century, or so basically uh, shows that exist within the Universal Century take elements from what had previously happened and add on to it. So like they take place in later years. So as an example here, like Gundam Zeta takes place uh, about. Uh, takes place about three or four years after the one-year war. So by, like, Universal Century 84, there's uh, Gundam Zeta, which takes place about five more years after that in the, in the in, like, UC-90. Um, you get uh, Gundam 0083, which also happens in 83, Universal Century. Uh, 08th MS Team, which happens supposedly during the one-year war, and they start... This is the first time where they start mass-producing the Gundam units for very much a land-based combat. It's considered one of the most gritty, realistic Gundams that there ever were. It's one of my least favorite because they're so gritty. I like the fantastical nature of it. Um, you get uh, Gundam Unicorn, which takes place in 0096, um, which is much, much later on in the timeline by comparison. About 16, 17, some odd years have happened between the One Year War. Um, you also have, like, shows like Gundam Thunderbolt which also happens happens during the one year war toward the end of it where like they started mass producing Gundam units in, on a certain level in GMs um, so all those kind of happened in the Universal Century and I'm leaving out a lot of other series like uh, Gundam uh, MS Igloo which is another kind of like you know sometimes they have shows that are basically from the bad guy point of view Another, and in some cases they're also redoing some of the earlier Gundam series, like Gundam Origins and a couple others here, which I, I could talk about, we could talk about for a while, but that seems unnecessary. Gotcha. Um, but then you have, you, then you have kind of like spin-offs of Gundam, where they don't happen in the Universal Century, they might have in like, for as an example here, Gundam Wing happens in the Cosmic Era. Or you might have some other shows where Gundams are an element of the show, but they don't take place in the same Gundam universe, so... Um, a couple examples here is G Gundam, which is Gundam's Super Robot series. G Gundam is basically what would happen if you mixed Street Fighter with Gundam. So the Gundams exist, but their physics and mechanics are a little wonky. They're a little squishy. Um, there's not really like a, you know, every country is kind of moved into space. Like there's like Neo Japan, Neo America, Neo Germany. They all go down to Earth to fight in this big tournament here. Um, and that's where, like, all the Gundams are kind of fighting one, with one another. That's why everybody, ha every every country or has, like, a, has their own Gundam. It's very country-specific in a lot of cases. Like, the Mexican Gundam is literally wearing a sombrero and has, like, a, um, a poncho. Why can't it have a luchador mask, man? Yeah, well, some do. Sort of the the German one kind of has a Gundam, like it's the reason it's also called G Gundam and is a weird notion here as well because in America so in America they had to change the names because what ends up happening is that the reason it's called G Gundam is because the titular uh, Gundam at the end of the day is called the God Gundam because the major protagonist is also known as the Devil Gundam. In America we had to change it here, so originally you had the Shining Gundam which turns into the Burning Gundam. But in Japan, it would have been the Shining Gundam, which is later replaced by the uh, God Gundam. But obviously here in the West, you can't have God Gundam at all, so it got changed. 
Um, you also have... It's much less interesting than the whole thing that happens with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and they're having to change copyright names. Well, I mean, you got to remember that for what it was in the when it came out in the West in the 90s here, you know, because it came out at the very tail end of the 90s, but it, the show literally came out in 94. Um, you would want to change it because of the way censorship, censorship rules are. You don't want to make, you know... In Japan, you got to remember that like, Christianity isn't as big of a deal over there at all. Yeah. So, like, the reverence for it is not as high as here in America, where, like, of, you know, a vast majority of American populace is Christian in some cases. So they would find, you know, Americans would find it much more taboo to call it a god Gundam versus in Japan, whatever was, whatever sounded really cool and, myth- and mystical is kind of the nature of it. When we get to Evangelion, that's the reason all the pseudo weird religious stuff is in there. Oh, yeah. Um, but Gundam, later you also get to. Gundam Wing, which is primarily what a lot of 90s kids like myself consider their first real Gundam series. Um, you know, it doesn't follow the same Gundam timeline at all. That's kind of what the that's kind of what these alternate centuries allow them to is to have the world of Gundam and have kind of like the idea of Gundam, but be able to modify it and change it a little bit to tell new stories. Um, you get Gundam X, which is a post-apocalyptic take on. What happens if we effed up the Earth and all these robots are left lying around? What happens after all the governments are gone? Um, you get Turna Gundam, which is, you know, from the original creator of Gundam, if Gundam went weird. Weird in what sense? So, the Turna Gundam, its typical V-fin is actually not on its forehead, it's on its chin. And it looks like, like a chin strap. Well, it's on its chin, and it looks like a mustache almost. Um, in Turn of Gundam, here the people of the moon rule over the people of the Earth, um, and the people of the Earth are trying to fight back, and they're recovering. You know, basically, what are these old machines that um, existed here? But they're vastly outpaced by what would have been like the moons-based uh, mobile suits here. And a kid finds the what they call the white doll. They don't ever really call it a Gundam at all, uh, but they but they find what they call the white doll, which is almost an all white unit with a little bit of blue and red paint on it, which is in this case the Gundam here, um, and it changes the Earth, allowing them to kind of fight back against the uh, people of the moon. Now they literally have like they famously have like a somewhat sort of like decent relationship partway through the series, and then later have like you know not so great relationship later but again like when you get to that series it's weird by comparison to Gundam it doesn't follow any of the traditional Gundam rules at all hmm. is the way of saying it but again but again like the idea of the these alternate kind of retellings of different series and different kind of universes are meant to tell different stories um, when you get to a show like Gundam Seed it's very very much an analogy for the original Gundam down to the fact that there's a white base there is a Gundam. They get they're literally like the way they find the Gundam is the same way they find the Gundam in the Amer- in the original Gundam series. They find it. They get it on a colony. It ends up getting piloted by a young fifteen year old kid that that's a whiz kid in it, and um, he ends up taking it back. Now the difference here is that they saw what Gundam Wing did and said like, okay, the Gundam. There's going to be one Gundam that's with the white base. We're going to call that the Strike Gundam, but the bad guys are going to get the other four Gundams that were there as well. So there's a basic platform Gundam. There's a Gundam that has like heavy artillery on its waist that kind of slows around to reconnect in different ways. And 
rocket launchers, there's a Gundam that stealths. Um, it's stealthy and meant to be stealthy. There's a Gundam that is uh, meant to be a prototype for transformable robots. So it transforms into kind of like a mobile armor mode is what they call it. Um, that kind of flies around and then transforms out of it into a humanoid robot. Um, and then you have uh, the Strike Gundam that's with the white base. is meant to be a multi-platform sort of thing. So what's unique about the Strike Gundam here is that the white base, and I apologize, it's not technically the white base. When I say white base, I mean like it's the carrier unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, it has its own name. I forget what it is. I believe it's the Minerva, I want to say. Um, it has what they call Strike Packs. Well, one of them is, so you have the base Gundam, which doesn't really have a lot of maneuverability or weapons on it. But you can upgrade it with, you can add, like, a flight pack to it so it can fly in space easily and you can fly around on atmospheres. It's got a sword pack, which basically gives it a big, giant sword. saber and, and some additional armaments. And you have a uh, gunner version, which gives it a large beam cannon on its, on, its, on its side that it can use as well. And so that's kind of the multi-purpose nature of it here. So you could have have one unit fill multiple roles as necessary. And again, it's very much an allusion to the original Gundam series because even the guy, uh, uh, Kira Yamato, which is the hero, which is also kind of in Gundam series known as Jesus because he could fucking do anything. Uh, very much a Mary Sue character at the end of the day here. Like, very little problems and everything goes right for him. Um, but he's very much analogy toward Armoro Ray, where... He, you know, is a young pilot who doesn't know how to pilot the Gundam. He continually makes adjustments to the Gundam. He becomes better at the Gundam than anybody else. Um, but later as the series continues, it gets fleshed out more. Um, similar things happen to him versus, um, yeah, versus the original Gundam. Like, there's a love interest that he ends up dying midway through that's very important to him until he gets a new love interest. Like, it's very much an analogy. Like, if you didn't watch them watch the original Gundam series, you can watch... Gundam Seed by comparison and still kind of get the same thing out of it at the end of the day. And that's a show that came out in 2002. They had a follow-up here called Gundam Destiny which is not well liked by the series because we were all kind of expecting a because it starts off as an analogy to Gundam Zeta, which is great but it never kind of gets there at the end of the day. Um, Jesus, Gundam Jesus comes back and the reason he's called Gundam Jesus because there's a Gundam that's called the Freedom Gundam it's got wings that are very much an analogy to, like, angel wings. More so than in Gundam Wing, Endless Waltz, where the gun Wing Gundam literally has Jesus fucking wings. But, um, but he, the Freedom Gundam becomes, like, this white devil that's, like, can't kill it kind of mobile suit. And it's just one of those things where, like, the analogy is too close on. Um, kind of reminds me of uh, the sixth Fire Emblem game. Just because it, it's, it's not like a remake by any means or anything but it's practically remaking all but names of the original you start off with a knight red and blue, red and green cavaliers you got a really old man you got an old man jagan archetype you got the lord who in this case is roy as opposed to marth who is trying to save his kingdom and against an invading kingdom which has connections to the dragons and whatnot and you fight a dark dragon at the end blah 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 blah, blah. yeah so i mean Making allusions to older series is not unheard of. Um, other shows here, Gundam Age is a interesting show because it's literally every... It's an attempt to do what's interesting with modern anime, where our modern anime is very much of a 13-episode uh, seasonal sort of affair here. 
And the notion with Gundam Age was that every 13 episodes, the main pilot would change and they would inherit a new gu- the Gundam from the previous age. And the characters that were in the previous Gundam in the previous season would either translate into the captains or the mentors of the new series and kind of go from there. So you kind of end up using the same Gundam over and over and over again over the course of like, I think it's almost nearly 100 years of the, that the series kind of takes place in. But every like 13 episodes you have a time jump or characters get older and so like and such like it's hard to follow along with that series i found because of the way they jump around you know and mech series are usually especially later mech series like to tell long like to tell epic stories over the course of longer shows so gundam age is weird because they were trying to do what was a seasonal anime but change it up constantly to keep it fresh and interesting i don't like it as much but it's not to say it's not a gundam series um, you also have. I was gonna say, I actually rather kind of like that idea, just because it's also employed by Hirohiko Araki in JoJo, where every part you have a new main character with more often than not, well, maybe not more often than not, like half the time, the previous main character comes back as a, in a supporting role. So, so as an example here to make allusions to Gundam here at the end of the day, like think of, so you know, like kind of the first four major arcs of JoJo's Bazaar. Yeah, think of that kind of like the universal century, and then when you start getting to like the fifth arcs and beyond, which are kind of happening in kind of not necessarily alternate alternate timelines, but kind of alternate tellings of the same world. Those would be like Gundam Wing, Gundam Double O, and other series. Like they make allusions to what was happening in the original kind of. In this case here, like stands and other stuff exist in these later episode in these later series, but they're all really allusions to the main timeline originally. Yeah. So if if that makes it more easier for you. Um, recently, the more recent outing of Gundams have included uh, Gundam Ironboard and Ironblooded Orphans. Orphans, which was, again, an attempt to make kind of like a medieval sort of Gundam, because a lot of the Gundams, like, there's no real beam weaponry at all, and a lot of Gundams have, do have some guns, but like, they're not like heavy hitting guns, but a lot of the Gundam, almost all of the Gundams have like some sort of melee attacks and everything there is kind of like fighting like medieval knights almost which is kind of cool um it didn't quite find its audience though oddly enough um and then you get to also you get to um and the name escapes me right now because i didn't put on my notes here you have a gundam that's about gunpla so what happens here is that they that um in the gundam series there's something called the minofsky particles which kind of like this universal um particles that kind of leak out of Gundams and other robots here by that century that helps power stuff. Um, and you can do some kind of interesting things with it on a certain level. Like sometimes they're propulsion, sometimes they block beam weaponry. That's how you get beam weaponry, weaponry in a lot of cases. So it's basically just standard, you know, element 99 kind of thing where it's just like, kind of it like does that. anything. Kind of like that. Um, in a modern day version where like Gundams in, in of themselves are just TV shows. Um, what ends up happening here is that the uh, people make Gunpla, and by dispiriting uh, the Manofsky particles around the pilots here, around the Gunpla, you can kind of get into like a VR piloted mech and pilot the Gundams in a VR world. Huh. And the particles um, help you do that, uh, but sometimes the particles also uh, make the Gundam, the Gunpla break based off the damage you do in this virtual world kind of sort of thing here it's very much a tournament kind of Gundam sort of thing but it's aimed more toward selling the gunpla and having you know because the different gunpla here like 
you get to see suits, mobile suits from different eras. You know, you get to see like mobile suits from like uh, some of the movies getting fighting up against other things here. You get to see what's fun about Gunpla is you have like custom made Gunpla. So like, I took the elements of this Gunpla, this Gunpla, and this Gunpla and made it into my own mobile, my, my own Gundam. It's the Gundam Eclipse or it's the Gundam Strike Extreme or something like that in some cases. Um, oh, I'm also for, um, so that's out there as well. It has a couple different variations on it. I um, also forgot to mention Gundam Double O, which is kind of the more modern th modern version. That one's is unique because it uses the original AC AD uh, timeline. And basically, what it says here is that Earth um, Earth people found relative peace, and they basically joined together. And created uh, elevators, massive elevators to a ring that revolves around the Earth. And the ring collects solar power, which is how everything gets power now. So we're not dependent on oils, we're not dependent on gasoline and wind energy. It's all solar based energy because this ring um, that now is connected by these space elevators connect um, the world together here. So what it's done here is it's made. Um, kind of three more three new kind of superpowers you have uh you have the north america south american block you have the european and uh africa block and then you have kind of like the uh, china russia sort of rest of asia block with like places like australia being a wasteland which is funny i mean it's, it's an illusion to mad max but Oddly enough, Japan is allied with the uh, North American, North American, South American sort of uh, branches here. So I was gonna say, just Australia being a wasteland—that's kind of how the uh, country sort of started, in a sense of uh, Britain just kind of leaving all their yeah. criminals there and whatnot, just yeah. to. It's also an allusion to Mad Max as well. Yeah. Um, but what ends up happening here is that because Saudi Arabia doesn't get money anymore because of its oil, because it's not a you know, most of the things don't run on oil anymore. Like, that part of the world is actually completely devolved. So it's very much taking what's happening in, like, kind of the current world setting and not making allusions to it, but making literal allusions to it. Yeah. You know, so, like, so, like, again, like, you see a lot of different, like, a lot of the robots being piloted by, like, the North American branch are, like, fighters that transform and, like, a lot of their pilots are very kind of American hotshot ace pilot kind of things where the ones from Europe here are basically remakes of American units in kind of a way. So they share a lot of similar elements like the transforming fighter pilot nature, but they're a lot less um, gung-ho about stuff. Um, and then you have kind of like the Chinese Russia stuff, which is very much a mass-produced, older, kind of somewhat clunkier model, but they have a whole lot more of them, so it's not as much of an issue kind of slightly running on older tech but still like they have a lot of mass more they have a lot more mass produced units so it's less important here yeah um so but you have like elements of every country still of every kind of block has issues you know like again like the Saudi Arabia people aren't really a part of any block because they don't have any resources that anybody wants anymore um where the Gundams kind of come in is that the earth is in kind of a perpetual stalemate as far as uh fighting goes there's constant fighting all the time and the Gundams rely on a similar sort of what they call a solar furnace or the 
uh, what they call a solar furnace, which is basically a special drive that makes perpetual energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives them gives the Gundams unlimited runtime. They don't worry about gas. They don't worry about emissions. So long as their solar furnace is active, they're constantly creating power. Um, it allows them to basically p- kick everybody's ass very easily. Um, it's a fun show if you want to watch a Gundam series that's it was a lot of in the vein of what would be like Gundam Wing in some cases, but with a lot more somewhat geopolitical current stuff here. Like that would be a fun one to watch as well. Um, but let's get back to the history of, of mech shows here, because again, like again, to talk about real robots, talk about Gundam for the most part here. Yeah. Um, when we get into the eighties here, um, we kind of start calling it the rise of the real robots because a lot more shows from real robot series start. Coming about here, you have shows like uh, Photoms, Pat Labor. Uh, Pat Labor is what would happen if mechs, if you had mechs were construction units, but sometimes people stole them to do bad things with them, and so you had a police force that used mechs. Oh. It's a real robot series because it treats it in a lot of real-world settings. It's a lot of fun. Um, I like Pat Labor a lot. I wish there was more Pat Labor. Um, you have how long? Uh, is, how long is that series? It's weird because it starts as a manga, and there's animations for it that date back to 1988. But they have like a lot of OAVs because it's not a major timeline, not a major series that comes up. Um, OAV by which meaning to say original animation video. Yeah. Um, for for people who are listening who don't know necessarily remember. Um, and then you also have what we commonly know as uh, Macross. Um, which we we know in the we know in the West here as Robotech. So Macross, uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, basically is a uh, series in which the Earth is being attacked by these giant uh, by these. When I say giant, I literally mean like they're like the size of like five story houses, kind of guys, huh. um, or f- maybe three three story tall guys. Maybe is probably the better way. Two or three story tall guys in their own mechs and Earth is trying to defend against them. And the way they're defending against them is by using the um, the Valkyrie fighter, uh, which is basically a fighter jet that trans that semi transforms into a human, so like its arms so it has arms that kinda of pop out of it and the legs which would have been the engines that kind of propel it forward from the back are become legs, so they kind of like what they call the G walk mode. Kind of like this clunky sort of thing. And then they transform into full humanoid robots as well. So um, it's a somewhat clunky... It's a a fun little series, but it's spawned a couple other different series as well. um, Where the general robot deck series is actually made up not of super... Just super... 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 Excuse me. uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross is based off actually three different shows. Um, And... Um, one of them, is, and the next one is known as Southern Cross, which has very similar mechs to it as Robotech. And then um, the one I like the most, which is very bizarre, um, uh, Muspender, I want to say it's called. But we know it here in the West as, um, whatchamacallit, as, um, we know it as Robotech here in the West. So if you see anything called Robotech, it's actually three different seasons of what was, you know, shortened and buttoned down versions of these other series here but okay. Macross is the most is the one that kind of exists the most because it has lots of spinoffs here as well um to that um but you have a lot of, but again like real robots are still not going anywhere 
real world that's where we get Voltron from. Oh, okay. So Voltron is actually two different series, one of which is called Go Lion, and the other one is Dairuger, which was all cars, essentially. Um, but that's where the Voltron series comes from here in the West. Um, you also get Transformers, which is a super robot series at the end of the day. Um, uh, you also get uh, one of my favorite little shows here called Bubblegum Crisis. Um, it's basically a mobile. It's basically a giant robot series. But remember, not all robots have to be giant robots. So what it is at the end of the day, it's a exosuits that these girls wear to fight off what they call. So in the so like. 25 years from now here in like 2034 I want to say or 2040 somewhere in that nature here yeah. what ends up happening is, is that the um, they've made mechanical robots now to help us do a lot of stuff so they do major construction they do uh, mass production of like goods and services here but sometimes you get people that make bad guy ones and so they so they're these robots are known as boomers uh, sometimes they go berserk and what you end up having is you have uh, police that normally handle them, but you also have this kind of extra unit that's called uh, it's called the Night Sabers, which are made of these women who have their own mobile, they have kind of these exosuits that they pilot um, that are very skin tight and very scantily clad, and they're awesome. Um, it's like, what if Iron Man was a team of four girl, four women, and they just beat up other robots? Huh. Kind of the best way to describe it here at the end of the day. Um, and then you have one of the great series that comes out of uh, the 80s here. Di uh, you have Gunbuster. So Gunbuster is a super robot series if Gynax made it. Which is the same people that made Evangelion. Which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, it's a little weird and bizarre, but it's awesome I mean, As we expected of Gynax. Yes, but it's awesome and absolutely amazing. So n not within any reason not to say that it's not awesome and cool. Um, when we get to the 90s here, we have kind of a mecha revolution here, because what ends up happening here is that um, you get a lot of stuff that happens and themes that happen and get developed out of the real robot and real and giant robot series in the 80s here, which starts leading to more creators having the ability to create new and different stuff here. So you have uh, shows like uh, the Brave series, which was a series of giant robot series that was capped off by... Um, the hallmark of what I think is of like one of the more greater um, giant robot series uh, King of Braves Gal Guy Gar um, not to be confused with the Disney movie Brave no very much not because that movie was terrible oh yes it was absolutely terrible um, so you have that um, you have Another kind of exosuit thing called Techoman Blade, which we saw here in the West as Technoman in the 90s. Um, we also have one of the more interesting shows because I would love to see a match. I would love to see a, a shoujo mecha show one day. I don't know how you'll do it. Shoujo? Shoujo being like a usually show, usually a manga media animation that are more aimed toward a female audience. Not necessarily kind of, you know, like, I, I would find that interesting at the end of the day. I don't know how you would do it, which is the hard part, but I would find it interesting to find one of those. But you get Magic Knight Ray Earth, which is as close as you get to a magical girl show with Mecha. It's awesome. I have the manga for it. It's very good. It's very old school. It's, um, you ever heard of the company, you ever heard of the group Clamp? No. Okay, so 
Clamped uh, is a team of four women that create manga together. Um, they make other series, and one of my favorites, they are the, um, not the principal designers, but the, the character designers, one of my later favorite series, and I'll explain that here, and I'll explain that a little bit later. Um, you get uh, Martin's successor, Didesco, which is kind of a take on a, a real robot series with super robot elements, so like, you have these mass-produced robots that are very much a government-operated, so they're real robots, but they're fighting against a lot of like super robot kind of villains, if that makes sense. All right. Um, you also get Vision of Escaflone, which has a largely female, largely more popular female audience because the guys were very cute back in the day. This is in '96. Um, but you get the two major series that really defined the seven, the '90s here, which is Gundam Wing here in the West because it was such a pivotal Gundam series that really kind of. Uh, when it came out in 97 here in America, it was pretty much the pinnacle of what would have been giant robot series of, of Gundam series here. It's how a lot of us got introduced to uh, Gundam and mech series and even anime here in the West. But you also get Evangelion. Now, Evangelion... Well, here, wait. So, quick question. So, earlier you mentioned you... As, or, not mentioned, but I picked up a slight dislike of Wing. So, where does that stem from, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, the reason I don't like Gundam Wing necessarily is because the plot's a little all over the place. Now, if you're watching it on a weekly sort of thing here, the plot being a little all over the place, okay. Like, good guys become bad guys, bad guys become good guys. Um, the mechs are way, the Gundams are way overpowered, but somehow people are able to beat them, which is very bizarre to me. Like, they're painted to be overpowered. Um, my major dislike for it is that. All the characters are the exact same from the moment they start to the moment they end. There's very little character growth in any of the in any of the characters at all, um, which makes it difficult for me to enjoy the series because I like characters that evolve and change. I don't like characters that are static at all because they lead to being not interesting sort of things at the end of the day. You want to watch a series and watch somebody grow and change. So, like, in The Office here, you like watching, you know... Um, you know, the characters change, they don't necessarily change, but their lives evolve and grow. Yeah. And in some cases, they might have different outlooks on society or different ways they look at other coworkers here, but they're always in a constantly evolving sort of state almost. Gundam Wing doesn't do that at all. The char none of these characters in Gundam Wing ever evolve. And it's the most annoying thing because you would want them to evolve and change. And because most Gundam series, the characters do change. They find love, they find ways to interact with one another. They can. They become better than what they were. Um, but in Gundam Wing, they, that, that's, that doesn't happen. A lot of people like Gundam Wing because it's their first Gundam, but in the same way, like, I love Evangelion. It's also because that's one of my first shows I fell in love with, too. So everybody's favorite is usually whatever they first fell in love with. So if you fell in love with uh, Parks and Rec before you fell in love with The Office, you think Parks and Rec is a more superior show. It's, it's, you know, as a side note, I could just never really get into Parks and Rec. See, as an example, because if you watch The Office, you probably like The Office more than you like Parks and Rec. I do. I'm trying to think of why I don't like Parks and Rec. Might just be Aziz Ansari. I'm not a big fan of him. Okay, that's fair. Um, but the other big thing of the 90s here was Evangelion. Now, Evangelion is... Overrated. Uh, no, it's... It, yes, very overrated, but not. I'm, 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 joke, I'm joking in a, se in a sense. I, not to say that it, I dislike Evangelion by any means. No, I, I very much like it. I think it's very smart and very... Interesting, but I don't feel it's aged quite as well. 
Oh, I disagree. I, I find that it's aged very well in a sense, but because you get to, you get to realize what it is first. Evangelion is a deconstruction of what would be considered a real robot series, because in the most real robot series here, the father figure is a mentor figure, and in Evangelion, it's actually an impressing sort. It's, it's actually less of a mentor figure and more of an oppressor at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, the titular hero is not heroic on any particular level. If anything, he's actually a coward. Oh, he's a coward. He doesn't want to fight. You know, like other characters that are around him don't like him, and other characters around each other don't like each other. You know, like as we're in most super robot series, everybody's kind of in. Everyone kind of likes each other. Um, it's also a show that has a lot of heavy relationship with Christianity. You know. Babylonian mythology and stuff like that because, you know, like, hey, when you have a show that's where the bad guys are known as angels here, you cannot not have relationships to other kind of things here. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Um, even the robots are unique in their design because when you look they're at They're much it, more slim. They're much more slim. They're very humanoid. Um, they look like models. Of the... <coughs> Excuse me. And they look like model. They look like you know, people wearing spandex armor, in kind of a way. Um, even the shoulders are unique because again, a lot of shoulders like go outward. These ones go upward. So like, it's kind of a unique series in a very kind of weird way that they even get piloted that almost never gets used by anything else in a lot of ways. Um, but what is unique about it is it sets a lot of standards and themes that get reused later on because it's such. It was a very big hit here in the West. Here in it was a big hit in Japan and also became a rather popular thing here in the West. Um, they basically allowed Gainax to basically do anything they wanted thereafter. Because it, because while the initial series was good, um, they ran out of a lot of money in a lot of cases, and so it wasn't until uh, later uh, series uh, or it wasn't until they did the movies where they got to have like the proper ending that they kind of wanted to do the entire time. Uh, there's a series of rebuild movies which I don't recommend watching. I like the first two. I don't like the third. I love the third, but I don't recommend watching them right now. If you have to watch Evangelion, watch the original Evangelion. They're redubbing it and putting it on Netflix soon. Oh, along with Cowboy Bebop, they're redubbing that and putting it on Netflix as well. That's another one that I felt was kind of overrated. Yes, I don't like uh, I don't like Cowboy Bebop as much. Yeah, it's absolutely it's a great series, but I I, I don't enjoy it as much. I just didn't enjoy it because I didn't feel there was much of a story but then again i just don't think slice of oh. life stuff is really my kind of well it's a bag. slice of life in space yeah Bounty Hunter. yeah it's it's a different sort of thing at the end of the day it's it's but i like i like that one i found it to be very i found it to be good but i don't love it as much as other people do remember oh yeah if it's your first you probably like it a lot more than other people do and if you're of my age in the 90s you know yeah you would have liked that show a lot more um, but then you have, uh, but again, so Evangelion has a lot of stuff that gets reused in a lot of other cases here as well. Um, and then you also have, obviously, The Big O, which is a creation of the 90s and, and 2000s. That was also by Gainax, right? No, it wasn't. No, who was that by? I don't remember. I want to say it was done by Sunrise, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I can't really look but that up. Big O is kind of interesting as well. Um, kind of a... I'm so sorry for the sneezing. Kind of a mess, mix of a film noir with mech. Which is kind of the best way to point it here. Um, that is just freaking bananas. It's weird, but like it's a good weird, though. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, fun, it's a fun watch. It's, 
it's what I would dub a popcorn uh, TV show. You don't watch it because you watch it because it's fun to watch it while you're watching it, but you're not invested in it at the you're not truly invested in it at the end of the day. See, that's the thing. I got invested in it. I really, really enjoyed it. To each their own. Yeah. But then again, I'm also just very strange. Although what's my my thing against um, Evangelion is is really kind of what you mentioned earlier, how it ran out of money. Not so you, not in the sense that I think that that's you know oh it, it's it's not like that was that was intentionally done. They had to reuse what they had to reuse. But I remember watching it in college and just oh yeah, that's like the third or fourth t- time I've seen that. Okay. Well, I mean, Gundam does that a lot of cases here where, like, they reuse animation and stuff, especially when you get to, like, Gundam Seed. But you make these scenes look really, really great, and you spend all your money because you know you're going to reuse it. Gundam had the problem... Uh, Evangelion instead had the problem where it, spe- it didn't spend a lot of money on reusing stuff. They spent a lot of money on making things look really great and really awesome. And they were hopeful that the... that because the way that the ad revenue would come in for them, that it would work, that it would work well. But because they had a hard time finding an audience here, they didn't get as much ad revenue, which caused them to not to have as much money. Yeah, which is not, you know. And so, and so instead of in a lot of cases where if you don't have a lot of money, you find unique ways to get through it to push through the end. They just they didn't they just ran out of money and were at the point where they had to start doing entire scenes, you know, entire long minute takes where it was just a background and a camera slowly panning around it while people were talking in the background with no emphasis on any sort of shadows happening or any movement or happening. Just characters talking with one another and literally talking about exposition for sometimes whole episodes with very little other interaction. Yeah. Famously, like, there's a scene in Evangelion where the two where these two mechs are literally the guy one of the mechs is holding another guy, holds him for literally a full minute before anything ever happens. It's like the longest minute in the world, but there's music playing in the background, so you tend to think like what's happening, what's happening, and kind of... And I won't spoil it at all because it's, you know, it's only anything that just goes on forever. I hate that entire episode. I mean, I've told you before my my issues with that particular episode, but... I mean, I I definitely... I definitely get what they were going for. I just... It personally did not click with me. Um, But, I mean, that's... That's to be expected of some shows. Yeah. So My, My only issue with Evangelion, really, at the end of the day is things that weren't really even that you could even blame on Gynax. I mean just the fact that they ran out of money and had to reuse scenes like yeah no that's not necessarily their fault mm-hmm. but it still affected my enjoyment of the show and it's like oh I've seen that again. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So we get to the 2000s here. That and the pacing I forgot. Oh yeah. Pacing. Pacing is pacing. bad yeah. Yeah. Um, when we get to the 2000s here it's kind of what I like to think of we think of as kind of a mecha renaissance here. Because with the advent of digital animation here, um, you got to remember that prior to the early 2000s here, when you did je- when you did Japanese animation here, um, it was all done by ink and paper. So somebody had I mean, to just regular animation in general. Just yeah, just in general animation, it was all about people drawing cells, then having to ink them and then color them. It's a laborious sort of labor, sort of intensive project. Um, that makes it difficult to do a lot of quick animation and, and things like that. With the advent of digital animation, though, where you could draw and do digital coloring on uh, paper, where you can do it all on computers here, and the advent of moving toward digital coloring and things of that nature made 
Japanese animation less expensive to produce, so people were able to do a lot more stuff. Um, so you get to the 2000s, and you have a lot of great shows here. You have one of my favorite shows, Vendred, which is also which uh, also kind of started introducing CG animation into uh, a 2D sort of world. Now, part of the problem always with CG is that like depending on how you compose it into the 2D into a 2D world will depend on whether it's successful or not. Sometimes it is, and a lot of time it's not. Um, which is a later problem that we'll find here as we get close as we get closer to our more current timeline. Um, you have Sakura Wars, which originally was uh, a series of Japanese video games and novels that found its way into making into a show. Um, you have Rousefawn, which takes a lot of what Ava did and just jacks it up to eleven. Um, I'm not a big particular fan of uh, Ralph uh, Ephon. What's it called again? Uh, Ralph Ephon. It, it's a weird spelling for it. I'll have it in the show notes for anybody who wants to look into it. I believe it's on Crunchyroll. Oh. Um, you have the sequel to Gunbuster, Die Buster. It's weird, too, and it's awesome. And, of course, it's Gynax being Gynax again. Gynax being well-known as a weird sort of, sort of thing here at the end of the day. Um, but when you watch Guy Next, you start seeing the early signs of what would be Studio Trigger. Um, because you got to remember that Studio Trigger is a offshoot of original Guy Next staff. Because Guy Next had lost, by the time we get to 2000, lost a lot of bit of their luster here. Um, and we're taking on a lot more work that was not of the kind of revolutionary style they were, they were used to doing and doing a lot more, uh, you know, stuff from other creators and series or doing a lot of, you know, what mainstream stuff. I mean, like, it, it, you know, it would take a little bit here. Um, those are the guys that ended up making Gurren Lagann and Kill a Kill, right? They make Gurren Lagann, but Studio Trigger made Kill a Kill. It's actually their debut work. Gotcha. That's, so, a, that's a popcorn anime. That was one I wasn't, like, terribly invested in. I still thought it was a great, like, a good watch, though. Uh, Kill a Kill or Gurren Lagann? Oh, Kill a Kill. Okay, yeah. Good popcorn watch. Oh, no, no, no. Um, Gurren Lagann's my all-time favorite anime of all time. So there you go, yeah. So Gurren Lagann came out in 2007 here. Um, it's very much what would happen, I think, if you mixed a super robot series with a little bit of Western with a little bit of Western animation and kind of like the squishiness of the characters in some cases here. It's a great show, which is very much a highlight of what would be a super robot series here. Well, the other thing, too, that kind of makes it so great is that it's just so... Irreverent. It's it's like its own. It's like its own abridged series. Like you can't really make a more comedic version of it because it's already just so comedic. It doesn't really take itself that seriously. But but there's a serious nature element to it that's there. Exactly. Hidden in the subtext. Exactly. Um, the only time the show ever dips for me is just towards the middle. Just like those three episodes where it just gets like, really oh, dark. now it's just now you're really serious. I really wasn't expecting that and then it lightens it's just, up again it's, it's just like, not, oh, yeah, it's not it what the rest of the series was, was painting itself as oh yeah no, um, but, but then it gets it gets its color back in his cheeks and it's like oh yeah I totally forgot that that even happened other shows you have here in the 2000s you have uh, Eureka 7 which is what would happen if mechs could either snow, snowboard or skateboard in the air it's a little bit of a mixture of what would be a real robot series and a and a uh, but more heavily influenced by a super robot series because robots are fighting other robots, but majority of the show is just about them kind of snowboarding and skateboarding in space, or in the sky, rather. Um, you have a, series, a later series known as Aquarion, um, which has numerous kind of little spin-offs and other things that happen. It's a, 
uh, I, I'm not a fan of the Quarion at all, but like I can see how people could be fans of it. I love the mech, but those goddamn mechs are so expensive online. They're like, you know, had had I had I known about it when it came out, I probably would have been able to get my hands on one of them for two hundred dollars. Now they're like four or five hundred dollars for those for those for those uh, toys. God damn! I know. Um, during the two thousands here, you have Gundam Seed that comes out in two thousand two, uh, followed a couple of years later in two thousand seven, two thousand eight with Gundam Double O. Um, but you can't. But I really, I don't think you can really talk about Gundam Double O without talking about one of my personal favorite real robot series here, Code Geass. So Code Geass um, also takes place in kind of a real world setting because um, they literally reference Europe, Japan, North America, places like that around the around our common world. Um, what I love about these mechs are that they're more realistic in a sense because the mechs are humanoid in nature, but they're only about two, about one and a half to two stories tall. So maybe like 15 to 18 feet tall. And they're mainly piloted by you by wheels moving across ground. So instead of walking from place to place or running from place to place, they're literally on wheels rolling across the ground. Um, and even for them to get up to higher places, they have grapple hooks in their shoulders that allow them to get up to higher places at that point. Oh. So, uh, so I love the mechs in this kind of a show here, but what's great about this show as well is that it has kind of a. It also has a very political nature to it. It's got a little bit of a school show as well because there's a. All the events are taking place by high schoolers, so there's also a school setting that happens as well, where everybody has to kind of like. Nobody knows who the good guys are versus the bad guys at school, but everyone's kind of getting along and playing their parts. Um, but there's also a semi mystical element into it as well. It's it's personally one of my favorite shows. Um, the character designs that were done by, Clamp, who was the ones who did. Uh, Magic Knight Rare. They also do they do a other series like uh, Card Captor Sakura, um, and uh, there was another one they did more recently, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. But they they draw a lot of manga primarily, though. Hmm. Um, so that those exist there. Um, it's one of my personal favorite next series of all time. Um, the second season though gets away. The mix start becoming a little bit more fantastical in nature, but. Um, Still, the geopolitical and mystical elements of the show are very fun, you know. Um, and I like the characters a lot, too. I wonder what it would be like if one ever made a mecha anime. Well, I imagine it might, would probably be another deconstruction here. Uh, one being the guy who did, who's doing Mob Psycho 100 and One Punch Man. Both are which themselves deconstructions of what would be a superhero genre and a, a psychic sort of thing here at the end of the day. I don't know how you really classify... Small Psycho 100 beyond being a talking because um, it's really it's all Mob Psycho 100 it's a four comma four comma comic um, done as a what we would call here is a web comic here that's over there in Japan um, but we get to the two but we get to the 2010s here and Mecha actually has a decline not as many Mech shows are coming out anymore um, and it could probably be done by it could probably be said for a number of different reasons maybe um some people presume that because of our kind of our 13 episode seasonal anime story thing here finding somebody who wants to you know finding somebody who will do a long-running series would be difficult to do in 13 episodes where a lot of mech shows like to have you know 26 to 52 some odd episodes to do all their stuff in because they prefer long drawn out sort of things they lend themselves great to like space operas and things like that 
Um, you have a lot of people trying to move towards CG to do mech shows to make it easier, but again, you run into a problem where compositing is difficult, um, and if you don't composite it good or nicely into the original 2D animation, it looks jarring, and as much as they might look really neat and awesome, they become off-putting. Um, you do have a number of Gundam series that happen during this time here. You have Iron-Blooded Orphans, Gundam Age, and uh, the Gunpla Gundam one happens here as well. Um, but they don't really find huge audiences like other Gundam series do find here at the end of the day. Um, so you have a lot more original series that are trying to get by here. Um, one of my favorite ones here, Star Driver, it's a super robot series um, where... Uh, the robots are of a mystical, supernatural na nature, and they all fight in what they call zero time, which takes place at no time, but at the it is standst standpoint in the moment. Um, I find it kind of fun because everyone's very fun and lighthearted characters, but there's a very kind of a pseudo-serious nature behind it. It's very goofy and funny. Uh, I enjoy it quite a bit, and it's one of the. It's actually going to be the show I recommend as a review here for you. Cool. Um, so I won't say too much more about it, so you have a chance to watch it cold. Um, you have a show in 2014, Al Noah Zero, which has a good first season, but later season, but the second season just basically ruins all of it here, so it's not as great, good of a series. Just like the uh, first half of Sword Art Online. Kind of like that, yeah, but it's not to say, but Sword Art Online's got its own problems as well. Oh, yeah. So just kind of remember that when you get to that. Um, you have uh, Captain Earth, which is another kind of super robot series, but doesn't quite find an audience either because of its short runtime. Only oh, 26 episodes and its weird runtime. Again, mech shows like to do more. Um, more. You have a lot of other IP, new shows that don't have any ties to like traditional series and all that happened during this time as well. All of them have a difficulty finding an audience with a short runtime in a lot of cases here. It reminds me of Tiger and Bunny. Kind of like that, yeah. That's the thing. I actually tend to like those shows just because they, I feel they're easier to digest, and because of the shorter runtime, they actually tend to have like a solid ending. Yeah, and they don't necessarily go on for. They don't, know, go, they don't go on for too long. But, but again, like if you want to, but if you really wanted more Tiger and Bunny, but other characters in there, wouldn't you like that? Maybe a little, mm. not necessarily Tiger and Bunny, but there's but some... that's where the movies come in. There you go. Um... Another reason, like, a lot of shows in might have a problem here is that war or conflicts are not as prevalent as they were now, as they were back in, like, the 80s, 2000s, uh, 90s here. Like, if a war yeah. was happening, you knew about it, and it was very much in the forefront of everything happening. Like, but now, like, the war is in the background. Like, how often do we hear anything about the uh, war in Iraq, you know, or anything like that here in, you know, on TV? Like, do you... You never hear anything about that at all, almost. So, war is not at the forefront of everyone's knowledge here in mind. So, the way you do mech shows are, have to be a little different because you kind of want to speak to what is reality here. Um, a lot of shows, again, like Gundam Unicorn, eventually has a TV run on it. Um, but that was an OAV for the most part. And a lot of really great uh, Gundam shows, like Gundam Thunderbolt, even, and Gundam Origins, are all basically OAV series. So, like, they come out every couple months. Um, as a continuation of the show, even Code Geass is like uh, new new stuff here is all either coming out as OAVs or as movies, which is heartbreaking to me because I really love to see another Gundam, another uh, Code Geass, and you know series run here. Um, but even more recent stuff from like Studio Trigger, as an example, did 
Darling in the Bronx. Um, a, a show with a lot of promise that does not go anywhere oh. and ends the same way like Kill a Kill does in space with just war weirdness and just gets weirder and weirder and it's just one of these things where like stop being weird be what you were to begin with um, so again that you know is everyone really liked Darling in the Bronx I love Darling in the Bronx as long as you don't get up to episode like you know episode like 11 here Everything after 11 is just like... Um, but yeah, again, like I think a major decline in, 2000, in the 2000s here is just because like, our tastes have somewhat changed a little bit. We're into a lot more of the uh, isekai shows, which are kind of like the in-another-world shows. Huh. Um, you know, basically where like a, guy, a person, guy, girl, gets transported to another world where the rules of nature and everything has changed. Sort of online, it's an isekai world where they exist in a new world with different rules and different, you know, explanations and stuff are coming becoming more popular because they allowed you to have more, you know, basically allow you to create kind of anything you want in existing kind of a way that you can do anything you want without having to be reliant on real world physics or real world settings and stuff like that, which is a great element of animation here that allows you to do that. You can't really do that with like a sci-fi sort of. You can't really do that with like a live-action sort of setting. So you can do almost anything you want, but you know, the problem with these guys I find a lot of days now is that you have a lot of them trying to do the same thing and nobody really standing out because of it. Um, you have the a lot of bridged version of Sao is so much better. Yes, um, you have a lot of idol shows as an example. Like I find idol shows to be so trivial, but pe but idols are a big thing in Japan. Oh. Idol groups are a big deal in Japan. I mean, like, so, like, idol shows in Japanese animation are prevalent because of that. I'm not a big fan of those either, but, um, but yeah, again, I mean, like, but we get good things out of a seasonal anime sort of thing here where, like, shows like uh, Boku no Hero Academia stay around for just long enough that it doesn't go through all of its manga material but still kind of gets there. Um, and comes back every season to be interesting, and you get some of the shows that are like that as well, where they disappear for a while, come back to be interesting. Um, but will there be a change in the mech anime scene in the 2020 season here series here? Like maybe, but uh, it's going to take somebody figuring out how to make mech series interesting again. That's not a rehash of everything that's done, been done before. I mean, like, there's a reason why, like, as an example here, like, superhero comics, superhero movies, you know, really weren't all that prevalent until, like, the Dark, the until, like, the Dark Knight movies, the trilogy started coming out, like, Well, but, e but even before that, you had, you had, like, the, like, one, two knockout, like, one, two, three knockout of, like, X-Men, Blade, and then Spider-Man that came yeah. out in, like, Late nineties, early two thousands, and that yeah, really... but, but after like Spider Man ends, you have like a lull that happens for a number of years. That feels like and just only like one year because the third Spider Man movie ended in two thousand seven, and then two thousand eight out came Iron Man. Yeah, but again, but if you go back to the nineties here, like there was a new superhero movie coming out like every summer and winter. Yeah. By the time we get to the early two thousands here, like they're coming out a lot more infrequent. Even Spider Man, which was a big deal here, comes out every like two or three years. Yeah. You know, versus, you know, uh, versus, like, 
the current what, Marvel slate, which is like you know you get two or three every year. Yeah, you get one in the spring. You get one in the spring. You get one for the summer. And then you get eventually get like one in the fall. So, so yeah, so, so yeah, so that's Mech Anime here. It's a brief tutorial on it here. Um, but here's the real question, or not the real question, very very frivolous question. Would you say Attack on Titan has slight elements of a mech anime? Not not necessarily in the sense of you know, yeah, it giant probably... things, but you have teenagers piloting giant fleshy, you know. You could certainly say it's humanoids. a super robot series. At the end of the day, obviously the the robot aspect is not there, but you could say it's a super robot series. At the end of the day, it's got a lot of political intrigue too, especially in the manga. Oh yeah, very much later on. That was the that was the first anime that actually ever made me like read a manga because I was like I need to know what happens. Yes. And oddly enough, I was reading it like two months before the for the anime series even came out because I was just like Attack on Titan. Oh, I wonder what this is about. Ooh, this is weird and bizarre. I enjoy it. And then like I wa and then like half a year later, the the anime starts coming out. I was like, oh, I know what's gonna happen with this. This is gonna be good. Uh, all right, so I think that'll cut to a close here. For our review material here, I'm going to have you watch Gundam Unicorn and and Star Driver. Now, as we're before, where I sometimes ask Mom to watch a couple different episodes of something um, sporadically, uh -huh. because mech shows tend to like themselves going for longer-running sort of things here, um, I would love for you to be able to watch some of this here as much as you can to get kind of a feel for what these really are. Um, I'm recommending Gundam Unicorn because it's the more recent kind of Gundam show that pays a lot of homage to what is Gundam for the most part here, and I think it's a good uh, Gundam show that really kind of shows political intrigue, the fun of what is piloting a Gundam without being too taxing at the end of the day. Now, um, for our listeners here, there's two ways you can watch Gundam Unicorn. The original Gundam Unicorn came out as OAV, Original Video Animations, over the course of about two years between 2010 and 2012. That version is available on Netflix um, as just Gundam Unicorn versus um, it later got re redone, in, it really got reproduced and shown on television in 2017 um, as Gundam Unicorn 0096. So a lot of the, um, of the, you gotta remember that these OAVs are like watching like set or like watching small movies. They're all about a hundred, about sixty to seventy minutes long. Some of them are a ninety-minute long little bits here, but they're like watching full movies. So to ask you to watch seven movies is to ask you to binge watch a lot of material here, which is fair to make it which is fair. So whatever you get through is whatever you get through. No, no rush on that at all. I enjoy the series quite a bit. I've recently rewatched it. It's got a great English dub to it as well, so it's an easy watch. If you're doing something kind of else in the background, like cooking or something, or cleaning, um, or like me playing computer games. Um, the other one I want you to watch is called Star Driver. Now, um, it's a real robot series. It's a, it's a, excuse me, a super robot series. Or the Gundam Unicorn is a real robot series. But Star Driver is a fun series. It uh, was fairly popular here, in the, fairly popular in Japan. Um, I find it to be a fun series. Um, that's a lot more lighthearted and slightly easier to get through, but it shows a lot of what would be kind of a Monster of the Week, real robot series with fantastical elements, and it's basically the complete 180 of what would have been Gundam Unicorn in this particular case. 
it's all available on Crunchyroll as well. If you go to Crunchyroll, you can get, you can watch everything for free. There are ads, so if you become a premium membership, lots of people offer like free 14-day trials to get through it here. And even then, it's only like nine dollars. It's only like nine ninety nine a month to watch unlimited anime, including simulcasts here. So if you want to watch it, so I would recommend watching it from there if you want. Um, I don't know if it has an English dub. I don't believe it does. Um, but it's still a good watch if you have the chance to. Um, so I think that'll do it here for this week. Um, from myself here, I'm your nerdy tutor, George. And we've, thank you for joining me here, John, my Green Ranger, or Greek Ranger, excuse me. There we go. Um, to learn about more about what we have here, including all the show notes and uh, on our uh, topic here today, you can visit us here at Nerd Tutorial Podcast, where we have all the show notes and episodes listed on there. You all can also visit visit me on Twitter at nerd underscore tutorial. If you have any comments, questions, or future topics uh, for later for other episodes or questions you think we should ask for future episodes. Um, but then again, thank you so much for joining us here today, and we'll see you again next time. Bye bye. <laughs>